This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021, and my guest is the excellent Nick Gray of Fandroid. Hi, Nick. How are you? I am doing excellent today. Yay. It's also OnePlus Nord 2 launch day. Ta-ta-da-da. So let's start with that, right? I mean, it's exciting, actually. It feels to me like OnePlus is finally doing something that's in line with the past. Yes. I mean, it feels like OnePlus is back to where it should be with its devices. I mean, if you look at this OnePlus Nord, the pricing of this device, what it offers, it, it it's in line with devices like the OnePlus 6 of yesteryear, where it wasn't super expensive, but still offered incredible value for what you were getting. And I, I think with kind of the missteps we've seen with some of their Nord devices over the past years, this is back in line with what we should be expecting from OnePlus. Yeah, I think this is good news. I'm just excited to see that they're putting OIS on that 50 megapixel Sony IMX 766. It blows my mind, actually, that they're doing this considering they removed it from the OnePlus 9. To me, this feels like a better phone than the OnePlus 9 in some ways. Like, sure, you're not getting a Snapdragon 888, but that MediaTek Dimensity 1200 has got to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, as far as performance goes, I think the MediaTek uh, 1200 is like 130 or 140% faster on the GPU side when compared to the original OnePlus Nord from last year, making this a very, very capable mid-range smartphone if you're into gaming. It's not going to be able to you know, match what you know, a Snapdragon 888 is going to be able to put out, but it's still really good performance. You're still going to be able to play top-tier games at you know, at least 30 frames per second, if not faster, and some games going all the way up to the 90 hertz uh, refresh rate that's supported by the display on this phone as well. Yeah, and and I mean, let's let's be real. Last year's Nord was a 765. You didn't get an 865, so I think that's fair. I have no issues with that choice of processor whatsoever. And same with the RAM and storage specs. Same with the display, which is interestingly 0.01 inch smaller or something. Um, but it's probably exactly the same display as last year. I figure without the uh, the oval cutout, since it only has one front facing mm-hmm. camera. Um, what else is there on this that's exciting? I think the camera setup makes sense to me. It seems that they're saying that the ultra wide, which is only eight megapixels, is also double duty as a macro, which means it has autofocus. That's the only way they could do that. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about the macro settings. I didn't dive too deep into that. Uh, it does have a two megapixel monochrome sensor. Yeah, that that's, should allow know, it to pull in more light for low light situations. Sticker um, cam. <laughs> yeah, but I was actually like it for the selfie camera, as you said, it's going from two from last year down to one, but it's an upgrade in the sensor. It's a 32 megapixel Sony IMX 615, which is a fairly decent camera for a selfie camera when you consider what the competition is using, even what OnePlus has been using on its other devices. I would say this is going to take better selfies than the OnePlus 9, not not the 9 Pro, but better than the OnePlus 9. That's what I'm saying. And this is just makes it so much more egregious right now. I cannot, I, I couldn't recommend the nine because of lack of OIS. Honestly, I know that's that I'm that fickle. But if you compare it side by side, 
with the OnePlus 8 Pro, which has the same Sony IMX, mm -hmm. right? Like you look at it and the 9 is systematically softer in low light because of the lack of mm -hmm. OIS. Or if you zoom, you can't stabilize. And since there's no telephoto, you have to zoom. It's like, I don't even know what they were thinking. That and the plastic frame just turned me off at that price point. Like if it had been $500, I would have given it a pass. But it's it wasn't. This is their $500 phone, right? And it has OIS. Now, do we know the materials they're using? Did they go all plastic this year? Because, you know, BBK Group is the worst offender here. Oppo went from the beautiful glass and luminos to freaking all plastic renos. Sure, they look fantastic, but it's so cheap feeling when you touch them. I hate it. So I, I do disagree with you a little bit on that point for the mere fact that the Reno phones have offered this incredible value this past year when compared to the competition. And part of the reason is they've been able to, you know, cheapen up the production materials in order to build the phone. So I honestly, I would rather give up uh, some of the build material qualities in order to get a better spec device that's going to perform better and last longer over time. I, I don't know, to your question though, what the build materials are completely on this phone. I believe it is glass on the back of the phone, but it might be yeah. this it might be the same as last year's Nord with a plastic frame. And that's fine. That's at least a halfway point. I would I would rather have a an aluminum frame and a plastic back on the device. I would rather have that trade-off rather than having glass on the back because a glass back panel, you drop it, it cracks and shatters, and then you have, you know, a hundred dollar replacement fee just to get the back of the phone replaced. I hear you, but it's a, it's a hand feel issue. I feel the plastic on my hands and it gets slimy and fingerprinty no matter what you do. Look, even the Galaxy S20 Fan Edition, one of my favorite phones of 2020, mm -hmm. because of its plastic back, feels just feels wrong. Like, if you put it in a case, it's a whole different story. A lot of people put them in cases. I get it. Well, and the majority of people do. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, okay, I'm a little of a different opinion of, on Oppo. I love their phones, especially the Oppo Find X3 Pro, which, by the way, folks, I just want to announce this big announcement for the podcast. I have decided to switch from my OnePlus 8 Pro to the Oppo Find X3 Pro until the Pixel 6 comes. I'm going to suffer with no 5G and limited 4G here in San Francisco, <laughs> just because I want something else. I'm sick of it. I have not switched phones. I didn't switch to the 9 Pro. That's the easy, right? I could switch to the 9 Pro. I have one. It's the mm -hmm. easy solution. I just feel the color science and the camera on the Oppo are better. Actually, I think overall imaging- They are. BBK is got the best imaging on Oppo, in my opinion, regardless of Hasselblad or whatever else. The other thing, I want to go back to what I was going to say about Oppo. The thing that disappoints me about Oppo and BBK in particular and the Reno series in particular, I don't think they're their competitive price-wise. I think if you look at what's available in India from Redmi, Xiaomi, Poco, and then from Realme itself, like BBK themselves, like the Realme GT, right? They're kind of overpriced. Like you can buy a Reno 5 or 6 5G for about the same price as a Realme GT 5G. So... I'm not sure I'm on board with that, to be honest with you. So the flip side here is I don't think the Reno specifically built for India. It's built for their European markets. And that's right. where the price points are 
a little bit higher and the real me is where they're really trying to compete in the Indian markets right. and those those markets where the price points are so so but competitive. Somehow the oppos in India Oh they're 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 in there but they're that's their premium brand in India while real me is their entry level brand. So so I mean it's the it's the competition. How can it be premium when it's all plastic? The specs are there, I agree. They're great specs. Cameras are great. But like you're selling this phone as a premium phone in India and it's plastic back and plastic frame. Mm -hmm. Like at least give us a glass back and a metal frame or both, right? Well, so that brings me to the Pixel devices from last year. We had the Pixel 4a 5G and the Pixel 5. And besides a couple tweaks, they're essentially the same phone with one being a metal frame with polycarbonate finish on the outside. Yeah, that the was... Other one, the that other one just count. being purely poly... But... There's a $200 price difference between the two. The question is, which phone do you recommend out of those two to somebody? The 4A 5G, of course, but it doesn't have wireless charging, so I can't use it. <laughs> but for the average person, you would recommend that cheaper one. In the same case of this, these phones here, in, in India, you would recommend the Realme phones to you know people that are more cash-strapped and want something that's better value. The Realme is definitely the right choice. But if you want something that looks more premium. It's not necessarily more premium, but it looks more premium than you would go with Yappo. Personal opinion, but I mean, ev everyone's got their own taste, right? The looks right? is there 100%. I agree, the Renos look amazing. 100% with you on that. I just feel that it's style over substance in the materials mm -hmm. department, and it bums me because it was there. Remember the Reno 10X? Oh, yeah. The, Remember the Re yeah. even the Reno 2 series was glass and metal. And like... You know, I'm reviewing the Red Magic 6R right now. It's 500 bucks in the US with a Snapdragon 888. And there's a lot of issues with that phone, especially on the software side. But it's glass and aluminum. Moto mm. made the Moto G6 for $250 a few years ago with glass and aluminum. Specs weren't compromised. I think they're just padding their bottom line. Like they could do this. They just don't want to. But that's their prerogative, row, though, and, right? But, but I don't want these phones because they don't feel nice in hand. So that's all I'm saying. So I'm going back to the Nord. I'm happy that the Nord 2, from what you s gather, has a glass back. Because at least the, the frame is a bit less in your hand. You know, like if you're not, if mm -hmm. you're choosing not to use this in a case, I know, live dangerously, folks. Phones are cheap. Hey, I'm all, all my phones are without cases, so I, I'm with you on that one. I'm joking on the phones are cheap because for those markets, India phones aren't cheap. But my point is, like, I don't want to be that person, right? But the point <laughs> is I'm making here is that I think that the frame is, is more passable, I think. At the same time, though, you notice because, you know, you don't see the antenna bands. You don't feel the antenna bands. It doesn't have mm -hmm. that texture that aluminum was anodized has, like that kind of adhesive feel on your fingers. It just feels slimy and plasticky, and I just don't like it. That's all I'm going to say. So I am glad that OnePlus did the right thing and didn't cheap out on the Nord 2. Like I was worried that they were going to go all plastic, no OIS, because the 9 was a precursor to that. Like the 9 to me was a big disappointment for these two reasons. And I know it's so fickle, but I think we need to call them out on this stuff. OnePlus, it's one thing that they're going premium and competing with Samsung in the US because what? guess what? Oppo does not have a presence in the US. It makes perfect sense no, that OnePlus becomes the flagship brand for North America and partially for Europe, right? But at the same time, don't cut out things, especially when Samsung's eating your lunch with discounts all the time, right? 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's the one thing that OnePlus really doesn't match Samsung on is they don't do the big discounts and the trade-ins that Samsung does. And that's where Samsung really has the advantage over everybody else is they have the deeper pockets in the U.S. market as far as their marketing budgets go to promote these devices. Yeah. And they, they're able to eat their lunch, as you said, you know, when it comes to those discounted prices. And that doesn't mean I, I don't want people to just turn around and go, oh, I'm just not going to buy OnePlus 9 Pro when I finally have my money to do it. <laughs> if that's what you're set on, do it now because it's only, you know, you're waiting. It's, you're only getting close to the OnePlus 10 right now every every day. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, Samsung will have other things like the S21 Fan Edition soon and, and who knows what, right? Like the point is there's always other options. But I feel like it's a hard sell when somebody's not dead set on a OnePlus flagship you know, when the S21 line exists in the U.S. especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when you're on AT&T and AT&T isn't supported on any OnePlus phone right now for 5G. And 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 many other, like pretty much every phone that comes out that has 5G, like from Moto or whatever, has like, oh, we support Timo and we support like maybe Verizon low band, mid band. And oh, well, you're on AT&T, sorry, you're on LTE. Like seriously, it, that's an AT&T yep. problem, right? But I feel like Samsung somehow has managed to get on board here. And I think that's the difference between OnePlus and Samsung. The bite of Samsung is hard to underestimate. They can do these trade-ins. They can do these discounts. They can be everywhere, Best Buy, Walmart, blah, 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 right? The carriers, of course. But then in addition to that, they can actually, you know, have they have this ability to like just be like omnipresent which is just like yeah can't can't fight that can't fight that at all that's being said like personally even though i love oneplus software so much more than especially one ui3 i think it's gone down a bit from one ui2 but the s21 ultra i kind of would pick that simply on the cameras like they're just at that price like you're looking at the OnePlus 9 Pro, you know, the expensive model since the cheap one is not available in the US and Canada. You're looking at 1069 whatever, right? At that price, you can get a you can get an S21 Ultra all day long, right? Mhm. So Yeah, with Samsung's discounted prices, I mean the the $1300 they want to charge, you know, regularly for the Ultra is, yeah. I I live with that. What I would what I would recommend for most people, but if it's in the $1,000 range, definitely a phone you should consider. Yeah, I, it's hard to steer people, in my opinion, towards the OnePlus 9 Pro. People who don't necessarily care about oxygen or, you know, being, you know, brand faithful or whatever. or what, Like for me, it's all about I want something slightly different and I like the software. But it's harder to justify. That's why I haven't switched from my 8 Pro to the 9 Pro because I'm like, yeah, this marginal improvement. I mean, the ultra-wide is way better, but that's about it. And then, you know, slightly faster charging, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately going to... The selfie camera on the 9 Pro is pretty darn amazing, though. Is it? Compared to the 8 Pro, it's... It's like night and day. Okay, I guess I don't take selfies because I haven't noticed. Yeah, you should just take more selfies. No, okay. but so, I mean, the 9 Pro, like, compared to the Ultra is 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 a good alternate if 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 you know what you're looking for. For me, my recommendation for the 9 Pro goes to those people who want a more simple and usable software experience. And I just can't recommend Samsung's phones purely for the fact of their software. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like so the ads and like... Bad. The ads that are built in, well, just, just the user interface itself is just so clunky, even though it's been cleaned up so much with One UI. 
I still can't recommend it. It's my number one complaint for every single Samsung phone that I use, going from the Ultra, which is their top-notch device, all the way down to, I'm reviewing right now, the Samsung Galaxy A32, which is their cheap, budget-friendly device. The software experience is identical, and it's bad all across the board. I agree with you, and I actually think it got worse. One UI 2.0 was better than One UI 3.0, in my opinion. Not by much, but slightly better. Anyway, back to the Nord 2. So what else do we know about this phone? I think, look, honestly, I you know, I don't know right now if they're going to send us review units. I'm trying to get one. Last year they did, but this year they seem to be spinning their wheels about it. Mm-hmm. So don't don't have any expectations, audience. If I can get one, I will, um, but I'm not sure I will. But here's the thing. The specs on this are solid. The pricing is solid. It doesn't look like they cut too many corners in terms of, like, does it have mono speakers or stereo? Last year it had mono. I don't care either way, but it would have been nice. I believe it has stereo speakers. So they updated. There you go. Nice. And then, you know, Warp Charge 65 is a big improvement. That That's something we got mm-hmm. on the OnePlus 8T last year and now is, you know, more available on more devices. But that was not available on the original Nord. No wireless no. charging, I presume, of course. No. And so... Again, this isn't going to be available in North America. It's going know, to Europe. It's you going can dream. to China and <laughs> India. No, but as far as the price point goes, I mean, for the eight gigabyte version with 128 gigs of storage, it's 399. If you roughly Euros convert, I, or yeah, 399 euro or pounds. But roughly converted, that would translate into about a $450 phone here in the yep. U.S., which yep. would make this extremely appealing compared to the other 400 to $500 phones that are on the market right now. I mean, you would put this up against a Pixel 4a 5G, essentially, and I would choose this phone over the 4a 5G. I mean, besides not having 100%. stock, and, stock yep. Android is you know definitely preferable to me. But a lot of people can live with the software on this phone and the specs that it offers is just incredible. And I think this is going to be the turning point, I think, for a lot of people in their regard to MediaTek and the performance that MediaTek chipsets have to offer. I hope so. Because a lot of people still have this idea that MediaTek devices underperform. It's not that they underperform. It's that so far they've been pitched as these budget-friendly and somewhat mid-range devices. But with the Dimensity 1000 that we got in in a handful of devices last year to the 1200 or 1200 this year, the performance of this is significantly better if you're into gaming, if you're wanting a phone with a high refresh rate display just want a smooth user experience this is so much better than the snapdragon 765g that's on every other mid-range 500 smartphone that's on the market i would take this in a heartbeat any day over any other device with a snapdragon 765g 100 percent. but then again we now have a snapdragon 780g and a 778g which is on like the 778 I did some benchmarking and the 778 is a beast. Like it's, they can't make enough because the the chip shortage and the fab shortage mm-hmm. right now, there's literally like two or three phones that have it. One being the Xiaomi Mi 11 Lite 5G. It's the cheaper Mi 11. And yeah. I have that one and it is such a slick and fast phone. So I think that let's not dismiss the, the, the flagship 700 series just yet. We just haven't seen the glut of phones this year with them. And I think you're right. I think there's a turning point here. They're not cost effective enough because the 765 last year ended up on a lot of things because I think it was cost effective. And this year we're having a bit of an issue with that, right? And so I think what's happening is 
people are going to go to MediaTek and good for MediaTek because they deserve it. This 1200 is going to, you know, kick butt in my opinion. And so I, I'm on board. I think this is, I had a lot of fears based on OnePlus's trajectory in the last year that this Nord 2 was not going to, you know, be a proper success to the Nord despite all the marketing, you know, mm-hmm. everything they said. Especially with Kape having left, we've noticed a lot of changes and he was the, you know, torchbearer for the Nord last year. I felt it was the final hooray out of OnePlus last year. The final real, like, you know, never settle yep. flagship killer type thing. And now here we are and then they're they're back, I feel like. And the reason this, I tell you 100% the reason it's not coming to the US is exactly the same reason the Nord didn't come to the US. It's way too close to the OnePlus 9 in terms of performance and specs and price way lower, right? So I think that they would cannibalize. I would not recommend the OnePlus 9 to anybody in the US if this phone was available as well. 100%. And then the carriers would be stuck with the OnePlus 9 that they have in stock, especially Timo. And, you know, I don't think they sell that many. I can, they all sell the N series, the Nord N, right? The, the N10, the N100, the N200 are the hot sellers for Timo right now in the OnePlus lineup. I really don't think Timo is selling any 9s. I think the 9 is less popular than the 8 last year was. The, all three of the 8s. Yeah, I, I don't think the 9 was as big of an upgrade, uh, especially for T-Mobile customers, because wasn't the 7 the first one that T-Mobile right offered right and the the eight was a good upgrade over the seven but this one the you know going to the nine it was yeah maybe you should maybe you shouldn't um i don't know like OnePlus has kind of gotten into this predicament of hey we're just another brand now we're not OnePlus with this one device that's you know beating the competition now they have a whole portfolio of devices and with that comes this confusion with placement of devices within the market. You know, you yeah. start com- you start competing against yourself with different phones that you're releasing, which can under which can either improve the brand or detract from the brand. And so far, it's looking that it's doing a bit of both. It is offering something at a cheaper price point for those who want a OnePlus device who can't actually afford it. But for those who have been committed to OnePlus from the very beginning, they're seeing the brand being diluted and not offering the same you know, brand pedigree as they had before. But I would argue that this is what we need. So what I'm oh, thinking totally, now is, is until this came out, even though the Nord original existed, it was kind of fading in the limelight because time was moving forward. I think that we, I was worried we were going to get a two-tiered OnePlus approach of like the nine flagships and then the Nord, which would really be lower mid-range and lower budget, right? Like we've mm-hmm. seen today in the US. And like we still have because we're not getting the Nord 2. But now with the nope. Nord 2 coming in at that sub-500 price point being super aggressively priced and specced, I think we have a, we have that what we saw with the Nord last year and what we used to see with OnePlus in the past. Mm. I feel like this is like the OnePlus 3 and 5 and 6s of the past. But even though it's not a flagship, well, it is a flagship SOC from MediaTek, but even though it's not, you know, what people think of as a flagship SOC, maybe they need to adjust their, their thinking because I think this, they need to actually make this lineup a little, a little broader and have more options there. So if, if they really want to go crazy, we have all these N-series Nords. We have the two flagships. They need to bump the two flagships up in spec, more value. Like, keep the prices about where they are, 
But we definitely, the 9 needs to get bumped as mm -hmm. the 10 next year. It needs OIS, it needs all metal and no plastic, right? But other than that, I feel like they have all the recipes now, everything in place to really uh, get kind of three big tiers going with variety in them. If they can support that, and I think that with the switch of ColorOS and Oxygen being under one roof, I think they can because Oppo obviously has quite a variety of the A series and they have the, the Renos. The Renos is really where the Nord should be playing, like mm -hmm. I think. And it does, but I think it's only one device. And then they have the Find X, you know, and the Find X and the other... I, do they have any other flagships than the Find? No, the Find is their flagship. Oh, no, no, there is the Find X3 Pro and then the Find X3 as well. Isn't there a Find X3 Lite as well? I think we don't get those, but they exist. You know, honestly, I'd have to check. Anyway, don't worry about it. The point I'm making here is that we have, you know, the opportunity for OnePlus to be a, a three-headed monster, basically. And I kind of want to see that. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, with the way smartphones have evolved over the past, I would say, two and a half, three years. This mid-range segment has gotten extremely exciting, offering incredible value, but also really good performance as well. And... For the average smartphone buyer, you know, I'm not talking you or I who want the latest and greatest specs and have, you know, bleeding edge technology. For the average buyer, these $500 smartphones is where the average buyer should be spending their money because, you know, you're looking at people who aren't super into photography. They take occasional pictures. They're posting them to Facebook. They're not using them to create a work of art or using them for work they're using them just for casual use they're doing casual gaming they're not pro gamers yeah for that average user these 500 dollars smartphones are so mm -hmm. good so good and if you look three years ago you would never recommend a mid-range smartphone because you would be like no it's going to get maybe one software update and the phone's going to be trash after 12 months but yep. these phones will definitely last you two, three years, even four years without giving you any performance issues over the long term, and which is amazing for consumers. 100%. No, look, I'm I'm on board. I think this is good. And I'm glad that I, this is a big sigh of relief for me because I was worried about OnePlus just going derailing and just spinning out. And, you know, I'm still worried about their flagship strategy. I think that, look, I've always said that OnePlus should go head on with Samsung. I can't be mad about them doing what they did. I think the OnePlus mm -hmm. 9 Pro is a phenomenal phone. If I wasn't already on an 8 Pro and the difference was a little more, I would totally go for that phone right now. But unfortunately, the S21 Ultra exists and is so well-priced that even I, a OnePlus faithful who prefers Oxygen, is like, oh, come on. Look at the cameras on the S21 Ultra. Why, why would I want to downgrade from those cameras? Yeah. At I mean, the same time, I'm disgusted with myself for saying this because I'm like, ooh, a Samsung? Everybody's got a Samsung in the US. <laughs> Everyone's got an iPhone and a Galaxy. That's disgusting. Yep. Which is why I'm being contrary and adopting the Oppo Find X3 Pro as my main phone and suffering for a few months until the Pixel 6. Because... Why not? I mean, you know, your only suffering is going to be data speed. Everything else about that phone is it's superb. Good. It's superb. I love the cameras and the fact that they use two of the same camera sensors for the standard and the ultra wide. The color matching between those sensors is impeccable. And honestly, it's <laughs> I still use it on a daily basis. It's not my daily driver, but it's on my desk. I use it for different things and it's 
I would say my favorite phone of the year. It's well, impractical in the US because of the data connections, but besides that, if you're anywhere else in the world, buy this phone if you have the money. You sound like me over the last few podcasts trying to decide what phone to finally change to. <laughs> I mean, not just the last few podcasts, since I got my review in it back in February. I think this is the best flagship we have on the market today, mm -hmm. bar none. Now, it has a few things that are could be better, like the telephoto. It's disappointing to see only one and only at that low optical zoom because yep. I'd honestly rather use the main sensor at this point for mm. zooming. I would have liked something a little more, you know, periscopy or something folded. Maybe 5X, maybe 3X even would have been nicer. It's 2X right now. It's just like, what are you talking about, Oppo? Anyway, it's still a decent telephoto, but that's my only gripe really. And the design, again, you want something unique. Oh, oh my God. Like, I love how I pull it out and people are like, what is that? Oh, look, nice iPhone in a case. I'm like, it's not an iPhone in a case. And they're like, what do you mean? And I pull it out, I look at, they look at it. I'm like, ah, they're like, what is that? I'm like, Chinese phone. You don't understand. <laughs> I love that. That's uh, my way. Like, you know, a lot of people use Chinese phone as a pejorative, right? Like, like, oh, a Chinese phone. I'm like, no, it's Chinese phone. You wouldn't understand. It's Chinese phone. And it's, and it's awesome. Like, trust me, like it's beyond what you can comprehend. And ColorOS has gotten so good, right, Nick? It has. I mean, a lot of people, I've seen a couple polls from different publications the last couple of weeks since, you know, the news has come out that OnePlus and Oppo are going to, you know, combine into brand, parent brand, sub-brand, a little bit tighter than what they technically are and kind of merge their software teams as well. And the software on this phone isn't that far off from oxygen. what you get on Oxygen OS on OnePlus devices. And they've come, within the last year, they've come very close to each other. And honestly, I don't mind the software on the Oppo phone at all. Like if you would have, if you had asked me two years ago, I would have had some issues. But But starting... Starting last year, 2020, yeah. with with uh, I Fine think it was the Pro? Reno, the Reno Four. I think oh, was you're the right, first, yeah, yeah. The first phone with the newer version of Oxygen OS, and I used that. And I was like, this is different for for Oppo. It's a step in the right direction. Um, no, it's not as clean and as light as you know Oxygen OS, or and it's a little bit further away, one step further removed from stock Android. But it's still really good. Still a lot better than. What the competition is better than Xiaomi software. It's better than Samsung software. Um, and, you know, besides, you know, stock Android, which I would prefer, this has a lot more options and customizations and is a clean and fresh look and honestly is fun to use as opposed to Samsung's, which is clunky to me. Yeah. And what is stock Android anyway, Nick? Um, well, if you want the real stock like Android. Pixel has a variation on that. Pixel doesn't have real it's stock not. Android. I know, that's it's what Google's I'm saying. version like, of stock Android. Yeah. No, exactly. Even uh, Google One is not really that stock because it needs some embellishments. No, you have to go to AOSB. And then yeah, and that's you don't want to be there. Half of the things won't and work. And then you're like, give me something else because yeah. the launcher doesn't even look nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So all, alongside the Nord 2, the OnePlus Buds Pro were announced. Obviously, we knew about this. I'm going to review it, obviously. I'll, you know, stay tuned. I've been very impressed with their earbuds, um, particularly the original OnePlus Buds. Uh, the Buds Z were okay, but not quite up to my standards. Some people prefer the Zs, and I get that. You can't go wrong with either. But the pros, who should redefine what an ANC pair of earbuds sound like and 
how well they work at that price point. What's the price again? 150. Okay, so it's a little higher than I expected. Well, I mean, when you consider they offer A and C compared to the competition, I mean, that's that's a good price point for something that's really competitive. I mean, there's not that many below 100 or below 150 that offer A and C. No, but at the same time, there are some no-name brands that offer really good ANC with really good sound, unless, you know, but you have to be not afraid to buy them on Amazon, right? It's what I'm saying. It's like, Mm -hmm. and this is kind of where I thought OnePlus would go, like $99, obliterate that tier of no-name brands on Amazon, and have finally something that we can 100% recommend because of the price and the branding, right? I think $99 is going to become the the sweet spot for ANC true wireless earbuds in the next year. That's going to be where everybody is going to have to be. Other than Apple, I think Samsung's going to get there with their discounts, not necessarily at list price. Yeah. And I think that uh, the nothing ear one that are coming out soon are going to hit that price point with ANC. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, and this is the beauty of uh, a whole category being commoditized. I mean, if you look back at the very first true wireless earbuds that came to the market, what's like three and a half, four years ago now, they were $300. Yeah. And the battery life only lasted two hours and they were horrible. Audio quality was bad. And, you know, you couldn't be more than three feet away from your phone without audio cutting out. And now the technology has gotten so good that, as you said, there are really good no-name brands that are putting products out there that are $100 or $50 or even some, I mean, we got, I believe you got some too for the ones MediaTek sent out, uh, the Skull Candy ones. Oh, the Skull Candies. They sound like absolute utter crap. I would not even recommend you consider those. They do, but they're cheap. And all the other, besides the audio quality, all the other specifications kind of meet yeah. that sweet spot of yeah. what could, you know, you, you're just going to Best Buy to pick something up and you don't want to spend too much money. You can buy these for less than a hundred bucks. And if that's where, as, as you're saying, you know, if OnePlus did come in at $99, they would obliterate the category when compared to, you know, the other bigger brands. I don't think they're there yet. I think they want to you know, pad their pockets a little bit with a 30 to 40% profit margin on them, at least. Yeah. Um, you know, once you get past, you know, all their investment for marketing and everything like that. So it's it's going to be a while until we get some of these major brands giving us really good ones at $99. But honestly, give it a year. I think we'll be That's there. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I'm excited about the Buds Pro. I was hoping the pricing was to be a bit more aggressive, frankly, from the get-go, because you look at the price spread right now, it's like 49 or 39 or whatever, and then 79, right? And then 150, mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, whoa, that's a, quite the well, jump. Well, 79, and then they're like, well, this is pro, so we double the price. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit of a mistake. But I mean, the battery life that they're, they're with the case, I think it's... 30, 36 hours of uh, battery life, eight, eight hours uh, on a single charge uh, without the case. It does have wireless charging. Um, it is splash proof as well. I think it's an IP54 rating. Um, and then it does, do you remember uh, HTC's uh, audio tuning yeah. that they had? That. You put in the headphones yeah. and you it listens to your ear canal. It puts a sound in and then tunes it specifically for your ear canal. This has that same technology, which is kind of unique. Sony Sony has something very similar on their earbuds as well. Yes, they do. Not just Sony. That those um 
those skull candies have it and it doesn't help them in any way shape or form unfortunately <laughs> you know who else has it i want i think we should mention here affordable known brand relatively quality true wireless anc earbuds are the anchor soundcore liberty 2 mm-hmm. pros which also have the auto tune thing where it tunes to your ear and those sound a little off to me out of the box but when you run the auto tune they sound fine so they're they're redeemable but yeah. for me, what I love about the OnePluses so far, the Buds, and I need to bring TCL here into play also, but those two brands, OnePlus and TCL, they're true wireless earbuds, whether you get their normal ones or the ANC ones. And again, on OnePlus' side, the ANCs, I haven't listened, so it's up in the air still, but I've listened to the TCL ANC ones, the 600s, and they cost less than $150, and they sound fantastic and mm-hmm. have great ANC, no tuning required, although there is an app. You don't need to run it. I don't think the app even has tuning. The point is that that's what I expect. I expect to be able to choose between some bass-heavy ones and some non-bass-heavy ones because I'm on the non-bass-heavy camp, and that's where OnePlus tends to be and where, where TCLs tends to be, in my opinion. And again, depends on your ears and how they're shaped. But I think that, you know, there are some like the sound, the Liberty Soundcore that are more bass heavy by default. I mean, you can tune them and fix it. And then there's those that just sound like crap. Like, I hate to say it, the Skull the Candies. Skull candies. But you can't fix them. You can't get a, mm. either of these camps going from what they deliver. So I think that TCL needs a mention because I have two or three pairs now of their earbuds true wireless over the last year and a half, two years, since the CS we all attended in person last, which was what, 19, 20? CS 2020. Yeah, yeah, CS 2020 is, I think, when they they came out with their first ones. Since then, I've had a collection of them, and I just feel like they've been great out of the box for me, and it doesn't matter what price point. I don't know how much these, and there they are, by the way, the, the TCLs with ANC, they are the 600 and, you know, they look like, um, you know. <laughs> AirPods Pro. Does that look familiar? I mean, honestly, though, like at, the, at this point, I, I'm sick and tired of the conversation of, well, they look like Apple's products or they it look like matter. this. Like they look like things you put in your ears and they fit and they hold and let's get, <laughs> let's move on. Apple's not sued anybody over design patents uh, if they even have any for them. I don't know. So if Apple's not worried about it, you shouldn't either. Anyway, all I'm saying is that this is kind of why I was thinking OnePlus would play and and that price point, which I think these are 99 or something. But okay, moving on, we got a bunch of news items and I want to run through them real quick. And then I want to discuss the ZT Axon 30 Ultra with you because I never got a review in it and you played it with it and you have a good video review and a, a written review on your site, Android. So rapid fire a few things. We've talked about Pixel Launcher. We've talked about Pixel really running, a, in a way, a custom skin on top of Android. And yes, that's true. The Pixel 6 rumors we've covered extensively. I've, I'm super excited. I was telling you before we started the show, Like I feel like Google's just going, like, just, let's go all out this year and just like not, not mess this up. Like Just do exactly what you know Samsung's doing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Give out the best specs, even if it costs a lot of money, and, and they will come. And I'm on board with that. I'm sick and tired of Google experimenting because every time they do, it's a disaster. Yeah, I think they've 
I don't know, with this one, they're still experimenting a little bit if they do decide to go with their own custom chipset. That would be the only experimental thing about it. Every, everything else would be, this is our competitor to, I don't know, somewhere between the Galaxy S21 Plus and the Ultra, right? Right yeah. in between them, which I think is a good position for them if they want to sell, you know, a $1,000 smartphone. You know, we still don't know what the pricing is going to be, but it'll probably end up right around there. Uh, I throw everything at the wall, see what sticks, and hopefully customers will come along with it. This will be the first Pixel device, honestly, that's above and beyond a standard flagship. I mean, we got the Pixel 4 XL was kind of the best one we had gotten, but there was quite a few compromises on that device. It was too experimental, yeah. And yeah. It, it made for user experience that yeah. didn't work day to day, especially with the lack of apps supporting the Face ID sensor. Exactly. And so with, without that, you know, experimental phase, um, I, I think it can be a success. It all comes down to can, if they go with their custom chipset, that chipset needs to perform within, you know, a variable tolerance of, you know, 10% from, you know, a flagship Snapdragon 888. Hopefully it'll have better, better thermals so that it can actually take true advantage of the power that it has over yeah. the 888, which has just been horrible. Uh, but I think it. I think it's, it's been bad. Yeah. I think it's going to be a very interesting device, and the hype around the phone is incredible. Every, anytime there's a story about it, it, it just gets chewed up right away. Everyone loves to read about it. Again, if you build it, they will come. We've been exactly. asking Google to not mess up, and since the Pixel Three, they've been messing up. The bathtub freaking <laughs> notch on the Pixel Three XL, mm -hmm. please. Then the four comes out with like this horrible forehead. Cosmetically, I, I don't want to be fickle. It's not just about cosmetics here. Like the specs were like no ultra wide back then. Everyone was going ultra wide, and they have the guts to like say on stage that ultra wides don't matter. Like we know better. Ultra wides don't matter. I was there. I was like, you, you're insane. You're insane. You're nuts. And then they're like, oh, the next year. Well, I guess ultra wides do matter, and we don't need zoom. But then they took out the freaking telephoto, right? I'm like, yeah. you. And then they went mid range, but it wasn't really mid range because I, as much as the Pixel Five is a beautiful, wonderful phone, even though it's not the right size for me, the price is ridiculous for the specs mm -hmm. you're getting. Like, it should have been a six hundred dollar phone. Like at six hundred dollars, it would have been a very good recommended phone. Five fifty. Yeah, I, but I mean that's that's within spitting range, right? Like that's that's a yeah. good phone for the price. Seven hundred was ridiculous. You're right, but you know what? It is a six hundred dollar phone. Here's the thing: it is a six hundred dollar phone. In the rest of the world, you know why it's a seven hundred dollar phone? <sighs> millimeter wave. Yeah, because of Verizon, because you know, of the millimeter wave tax, and it is ridiculous to Verizon. me because the millimeter wave tax should be gone now. I mean, Samsung and Apple have proven that these phones all have millimeter wave, and you're not paying a hundred dollars mm -hmm. more for it. Mm. like and that's it, it got caught right in the middle of this transition between we charge people a hundred dollars more for millimeter wave you know to now it's normal and and it got caught in the middle with unfortunately a small display when everybody that wants a flagship wants a bigger display let's be real like yes. the small display phones are fantastic i reviewed the asus zenfone 8 it was a great phone but like come on like that's not what the majority of people want. The power users want a big screen. That's mm. a given. So why did they do that? And then the 485G was so good. So freaking good. So good. You couldn't recommend the 5. Anyway, so I'm so glad to see Pixel 6, Pixel 6 Pro rumors. Uh, also glad they're calling it Pro. 
also glad that there's this rumor of a pixel fold because it tells me that they're just going like, screw it. We're just going to do it all and see what lands. But you brought something up before we start talking on the show here that I think is my big question mark too, is like, how are they going to mess this up? Because you know they kind of will. I mean, it is Google and it is a smartphone, so (laughs) it's inevitable that they're going to mess it up. But so with the fold for the Pixel, it's the rumors are that they're going to be using the same display technology as Samsung, which means that they're using Samsung's displays. They're using the glass on the front. Uh, It's supposed to be extremely flexible, but also the hardest one that we've seen from Samsung. So you're not going to get that feeling of, you know, I'm plastic. I'm going to I'm I'm going to scratch the display with my fingernail. You might still be able to. It should be harder to do, especially since Samsung's device should be compatible with the S Pen, which means it's going to have a, you know, a fine tip it's tapping away at it. So, it, you know, Samsung wants to make sure that that's not going to happen with scratches from their own S Pen on the device. Yeah. But I mean, I I don't know what I want from a foldable Pixel. Neither do I. Just as I don't know what I want from a foldable Samsung either, because at this point, I know a lot of people are in love with the concept and a lot of people love the idea of having a phone that unfolds into a larger device. I'm still not sold on it. I think the flip phones, the G... I think the flip is a a much more compelling device. That's exactly what people want. Yeah. I don't want a large phone that turns into a larger phone. I want a a decent size phone that turns into a regular size phone. So... Obviously, I'm not the target market for this device, so it'll be interesting to see if they can come up with something that would sell me on the whole concept of foldables, because honestly, up until now, I have not been impressed. But that's a personal thing. It's not saying the technology is bad or anything like that, but up until now, I've not seen any compelling reason why I would want to buy one. Yeah, and that's also why I've been kind of a little slow on those pixel fold rumors, because I'm just like... Eh, you know, why do do we need that? Do we want that? Like, so let's see what happens. My biggest concern with this is Samsung's obviously got the might and the money to make, you know, to support things and, and have that valet service for the folding phones and all that for screen replacements and things. Because, you know, I mean, Michael Fisher's screen cracked in the middle after mm-hmm. probably being folded a million times. And so we know where... Well, he uses it as a daily driver. Yeah, we know what's coming, though. My point is that they need you need that level of support. Will Google be able to provide that? Mm, you know, they don't have a track record that's very good there. So I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm 100% on board for them, like throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks and going crazy this year. Bring it on, Google, but also please bring on the support and the, you know, yeah. the thing, at least I'm not expecting to be Apple and Samsung level of support, even though Samsung is not that great compared to Apple. But I want you to bring some improvements there and please don't make any boneheaded decisions like, oh, we don't need this or we don't need that. No, no. Look, take a Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra and just copy what you see there and bring it to your fans, right? Yeah. Don't argue. Just don't add something weird. You know, just don't experiment too much. Like, deliver us something that is an alternative to OnePlus 9 Pro or a Galaxy S21 Ultra or an iPhone, you know, 13 Pro Max. Just don't mess with it, (laughs) please. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to the fold. If they make a fold, because why not? I don't know if I want that, but I'll get one. Well, I I think Google getting into the foldable phone segment is an indication that they want this segment to grow 
and they want to set pretty much the standard for what an Android phone with a foldable display should be. Because, yes, Samsung's going to be out there and they're going to show off their Samsung version of it. But Google wants to say this from a bare bones standpoint, you know, this this is the minimum of what a smartphone should be. Because like if you if you compare the software on a Pixel phone compared to any other smartphone, it has fewer options. There's fewer things you can tweak. There's fewer things, but it's still extremely good software. And so they're saying this is the minimum experience, you know, add on top of that if you want to add additional features or anything like that. But this is the minimum you should be offering. And I think it's the same with the Fold as, you know, we've seen so many concepts from you know, Oppo with their expandable displays from TCL and their foldable, you know, smartphones and tablets. So these devices are going to be coming within the next year or two. We're going to be seeing a whole lot more and they want to get up in front of it so that they have a standard to set so that it's not a bad experience for everyone else coming down the line. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting too, to see that there's a lot more collaboration happening between Samsung and Google this mm-hmm. year, like between the watches oh, yeah. that are coming, right? The Android Wear or Wear OS rather. And then, you know, the Whitechapel processor is supposed to be made by Samsung. Mm-hmm. So I expect it to be at least as good as an Exynos plus the image processing custom ISP is going to be bonkers, I'm sure. I mean, they did very well, the Pixel Core. So we know that that can be done. I think, look, I think we're starting to jump into like this chapter of google potentially where they are like you know here you know we're the googly samsung like you know (laughs) the hardware will be very similar like i think the pixel watch or whatever will be very similar to the to the galaxy watch but with a different user experience that's more google and then i think this the same is going to come out on the uh on the pixel 6 and the folding pixel and you know compared to like the Galaxy S21, S22 and and the Fold 3, right? And I think that's healthy. And it's possible also, I feel like Android 12 might have some f- tricks up its sleeve in terms of folding phone user experience that they may not have revealed us yet, but might really come and shine on the Pixel Fold, right? Mm-hmm. So Samsung Galaxy Unpacked is official. It's on August 11th. We knew this was coming. They finally dropped the invite. Just want to let the audience know that you should tune in on the 11th. It's going to be one of those virtual events on the YouTube channel. So go there, check it out. I'll have a link to the Fandroid story where you can find more detail. Weird thing happened this morning. I woke up. I had already sent you the topics and boom, uh, Moto launched the Moto G100 in the US for $500 with a $100 discount. Uh, this is a phone that came out of India and other parts of like the Europe earlier this year with a Snapdragon 870, which if you remember is the same as a Snapdragon 865 plus plus. Mm-hmm. It's last year's architecture with a couple tweaks and being overclocked. Yeah, so but it's like it's the 865 plus even tweaked further, hence the plus plus. Mm-hmm. But it's a great value proposition. Like so far, Moto this year in the U.S. at least has delivered very mediocre value in my opinion. Like the Moto G Stylus 5G was, in my opinion, kind of a miss because it had a Snapdragon 480 that was. Uh, you know, not that great, honestly, for the 450 or whatever, $500 they're asking for. And this is $500. Now, it's a $100 discount right now for the initial launch. But nonetheless, this phone 
is going to be a much better performing phone for just yeah. a little bit more money. Yet, are they cannibalizing their own line here? Are they finally realizing that they can't be competitive and switching the value proposition? It worries me they don't want to send us review units. I, I know from reading reviews in Europe about this phone that the cameras are, you know, it's typical Moto in every way. The only thing, yeah. Mediocre. The, the only thing that stands out is a Snapdragon 870, really, at this mm -hmm. point. And well, and so here's the thing: the Snapdragon 870 compared to, I mean, a lot of people will say, "Well, it's last year's chipset with a couple tweaks," but it comes within a, depending on the benchmarks you're looking at, between a five and fifteen percent performance variance between the 888 at first benchmark. Yeah. What, once you run. Uh, long-term benchmark numbers, say 10, 15 minutes, this outperforms the Snapdragon 888 by 20%. Yeah. So if you're in gaming, so I have the Black Shark 4 right here, which has the same chipset on the inside. This is also a $500 smartphone, dedicated gaming phone. And you might think, oh, a dedicated gaming phone, it should have the Snapdragon 888. No, it does nope. not. It has this chipset from last year that if you're playing for more than 15 minutes, performs better than the newer chipset. Um, so the the fact that it has uh, an 870 inside and it is $500, I mean, compare that to any other $500 smartphone. I was looking at the Samsung Galaxy A52, which has, uh, I forget this, 750, 750 in it? Yeah. Um, and it outclasses it by a long shot. Like, it's not even a comparison. So this phone for $500 is incredible. I think they. I don't think they're going to be cannibalizing their own sales. They're going to be bringing over people who are looking at devices similar to the Nord. Not specifically right. in the U.S. because the Nord's not available. The Nord Two is not available. But if you're looking at a device that has really good performance and you just don't have the budget for it, and you know, buying a Black Shark Four, you can do in the U.S. But nobody knows what the Black Shark Four is, right? But everybody yeah. knows what Motorola is. If they can get this into carriers, which I don't think they've announced yet, but no, they, it's unlocked only. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing. Like if if you have to know about the phone in order to buy it, nobody's gonna happenstance stumble upon it. Which I think if if this was in stores and people were stumbling upon this phone, it would be a no brainer. Yeah, no, I think it's it's interesting value proposition, hundred percent. But it's also making my head, you know, making me scratch my head about Moto's strategy here. Like, it's I like, what's going on here? I don't. Yeah, it's it's hard to like, tell. Finally, you're waking up about value, but at the same time, you know, yep. what, what is this, right? So I don't know. It's weird. All right, uh, Huawei P50 series is supposedly launching on July 29th, and the latest rumors are on this. This is the only reason I include this because July 29th is like saying the unpacked event is happening on the 11th. You know, tune mm -hmm. in and find out. But possibly with a Snapdragon 888. How? Uh, what? I mean, Honor obviously is using Qualcomm now, but Honor is no longer Huawei. So, but Huawei can't make its own chipsets anymore because of yeah, but the trade can they even use? Qualcomm chips. Oh, there there shouldn't be any reasons for them not to use I thought they were banned Qualcomm. from using... That's why they can't use uh, Google mobile services. Mm, I, I think there's some differences and variations there as far as Google mobile services versus hardware itself because they're still releasing laptops with Intel chipsets. So, right. so that's, that's one of the things. It, it, it's hard to say. I heard that if they sold this with an SD888 abroad they would have to disable 5G. 
I, yeah, I mean, there could be some patent restrictions, and that's the patent restrictions are one of the reasons why they're not able to make their own chipsets anymore because they're using other people's patents right. and there's restrictions on those patents. So there could be some specific patents, patent restrictions that they're not allowed to use in order um, to get this chipset inside. It'll be interesting. I mean, their chipsets, I've always loved their chipsets because the the power efficiency that they offered was always better than Snapdragon chips. Um, Me too, yeah. And it, it's one of those things like you, you want to see more people on the same platform so that we have a more unified experience across the board for consumers. But as as we've mentioned already, the Snapdragon 888 isn't the best chipset this year. It's not no. very power efficient at all. And there's thermal throttling issues across the board. So for sure. I don't know. And, you know, but then there's, yeah, Again, it's not going to be coming to the U.S. It's not going to be coming to a lot of European markets either. So it'll be interesting to see how big of an effect this actually has on the market. Yeah. And then the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that one of the things that made Huawei strong was a vertical integration that Apple also has, right? Mm-hmm. Like Because you can tune yep. the software to the chip. To the chip. Let's we'll see how it goes. Tune in on the 29s, folks. Uh, look, the P40 last year, the P40 Pro in particular, and Pro Plus were great phones, even though they didn't have GMS. Yeah. I think I'm looking forward to this, but I'm even looking forward more to the Honor Magic 3 and the Honor phones in general. There is a Magic 3 coming on August 12th. So again, tune in for that the day after Samsung. This is supposedly has a Snapdragon. It's not supposed. It's been confirmed by Qualcomm. has a Snapdragon 888 Plus. It's the first phone with a Snapdragon 888 mm-hmm. Plus. Hopefully we don't see the thermal throttling on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an overclocked 888 essentially and i'm like maybe maybe they've done some really good thermals on the inside of the phone to disperse that heat but who knows but as you said excited for this phone because honor is stepping out of huawei shadow and i've always liked honor phones and me too i i think it's been a disservice to consumers who have purchased honor phones in the past that honor got you know, essentially sidelined with everything that's happened with Huawei. But the fact that they're stepping out as their own brand independently, I think is going to be good for consumers. And it'll allow Honor kind of to let their engineers truly shine as far as, you know, delivering a device that maybe can compete with some of the bigger players. And who knows, in a year or two, Honor might be moving up the ladder as one of the Chinese brands that we should be paying attention to as far as, you know, market dominance. 100%. 100%. So let's keep an ear out for that, folks. And speaking of ear, uh, the Nothing Ear 1 that we mentioned earlier, <laughs> the earbuds from Carl Pay's company, um, he's revealed some stuff to CNET about them, showed that the case, the charging case is translucent. Like, reminds me of Apple designs from the turn of the century, mm-hmm. turn of the millennium. Um, and... Uh, Let's see. Do we have pricing yet? I don't think we do. I'm we don't really have hoping... pricing yet. Well, besides the one that the first 100 that went up for auction with the highest bids being over a thousand dollars. Jesus, people are crazy. No, but I do think we had pricing. I think it's just ninety nine dollars. I thought it was ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's ninety nine dollars for the for the buds. So here you go, ANC for ninety nine dollars, and hopefully tuned by, you know, I mean not tuned by the you know teenage engineering was a design firm mm-hmm. and they do a lot of, you know, music related products. They know and their sound related products. They know their stuff. I'm hoping these are really great. And I really hope that they don't overshadow the OnePlus Buds Pro, which I think I honestly immediately can tell you that are overpriced. Like now I'm expecting them to deliver such good audio at that price point that I'm worried. That I'm worried they're not going to. And ho- 
anyway, we'll see how it goes. But but here's the thing. I, you know, audio is a big thing for me and I will get both of these earbuds in-house and let you know what I think on the show. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, you got a Panasonic Toughbook G2 coming. I unboxed it. I'll link the video in the show notes. I just want to mention that the thing exists and they've finally updated the G1, which was a few years old now which is the bread and butter of tough books. Like if you mm-hmm. look out there in a, you know, uh, construction site or like some fleet vehicle of some kind of fire department, whatever, you'll, chances are, or even on an airplane um, uh, in the cockpit, chances are you'll find a G1 in there uh, docked in some way or another, either docked to its keyboard, which is itself docked to a car or a vehicle or something. And, and the G2 just kind of refreshes all that and it's compatible with the old docs and it's completely modular now within its own ecosystem you can't mm-hmm. modularize between tough books but the g2 has a bunch of modules that unlike before uh you had to get panasonic to actually give you the stuff from the get-go now you can field swap these modules which i think is actually very interesting opens a bit of a can of worm for them i think but at the same time it's, i think it's more flexible for the businesses out there yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because before, if you wanted to upgrade one of their devices, you had to buy a new one, even though they, they could be customized by Panasonic when you purchase them. Now, you know, you want you want a larger SSD on the inside, you can just buy the module. You want the larger, the different modules, you know, they have, a, you know, a barcode scanner you can add. They have a handful of different things. I, I think they said there's like 40... 30 combos, yeah. 30 different combinations that you can do. Uh, which is kind of interesting because, you know, having used a tough book in the past, I mean, honestly, this was, you know, more than a decade for, for work. Uh, they're really good, solid devices. Um, and, you know, if you can upgrade them, a lot of companies use these for five, six years before oh, yeah. upgrading. I mean, they're workhorses that you spend a lot of money for, but you get your money's worth out of them in the long run. 100%. Verizon is switching to Google Messages and RCS and finally Verizon Messaging or Messenger or whatever that absolutely disastrously egregious terrible app is gone by default from Verizon phones going forward. That means all three carriers are now on their Android phones shipping their phones with Google Messages and RCS support. Can we say hallelujah? Finally. Hallelujah. Oh my God. I mean, how many years has this been? Like four years now? Four years in the making? Yeah, since like since Google really started pushing RCS, a sigh of relief. Yes, the irony is that last week, no, two weeks ago, when Sasha was on the show, Sasha Segan, mm-hmm. we made fun of Verizon for the Verizon's adaptive sound or whatever it was called. Oh yeah, and we're like, like why please, the heck are you doing? You know, and I think I made a joke like, <laughs> I can't wait for the day that they get rid of Verizon Messenger and. Here we are two weeks, <laughs> two weeks later. later. Thanks for listening, George and the crew at Verizon. You know, they listen to the podcast and are like, we should do something do. about that. I know. Uh, it's it's a good thing, folks. You'll feel a lot better when you have a Verizon phone and one less piece of crapware, literally crapware to uninstall. You know, honestly, I, I installed a Verizon SIM on my Pixel 4 uh, a couple weeks ago. And you know how apps get installed now with sim cards oh my god i hate verizon installed like nine different verizon apps and their messages app on the phone and i was like get this off my phone i don't want this verizon's the worst there's a trick to that right yeah and i I always forget about. if you set up the phone on wi-fi you don't get any of that then you put the sim in after that your your full setup is finished and you'll never get those apps no but i i did my phone was already set up 
It installed. Really? Yeah, my phone was. I haven't reset that phone to the Pixel Four since I purchased the phone. That's really weird. I've never seen it do it after the fact. I, I'd have to go double check. Did you restore it from a backup? No, no, oh. I, I didn't. Anyway, but needless to say, Verizon's the worst. Well, AT and T is kind of the worst no, they're too. Both kind of competing for the worst. T-Mobile's not as bad. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. T-Mobile's not as bad. No, AT and T and Verizon just so much crapware on their devices. Anytime I get an AT and T branded Samsung phone, it's horrendous. There's like 40 apps pre-installed on the device. It's crazy. Uh, so one app is going away from Verizon, which is a good thing. And it's an app that you never really needed in the first place. Indeed. So here's a thing. I can give you about three minutes to tell us about the ZT Axon <laughs> 30 Ultra. Well, we spent a lot of time on the Nord, on the Nord. 2, which was really important because I think this is, a, this is a big, exciting announcement today. So ZT Axon 30 Ultra this phone is available officially in the US. It's $750. It has a lot of really cool specs. What's your takeaway? My takeaway is Fandroid gave it an Editor's Choice Award. Woo! For, I think, our only fourth Editor's Choice Award for the year. And we, we try to give them specifically within separate categories uh, so that we're not overlapping too much. I mean, sometimes there's we have multiples within a single category. But as far as flagship phone, this is one of my favorites for the year when you consider the value that this offers. Because any other device running a Snapdragon 888, you're typically paying for a whole lot more. Yeah. I mean, you can get a Samsung Galaxy S21, just the basic version, but then you're getting a plastic back on the Samsung. This has a glass back metal frame. Yeah. And also you get a Periscope camera on the back of this phone. And Now that's got me excited. Is it any good though? It is. I mean, for for a $750 phone, it's a... It's amazing because there's no other $750 phone that has one. I mean, at best, every other $750 phone has a 3X zoom that is a piece of crap. And this does really, really well. And honestly, like I've used... So wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me there's finally a ZTE phone out there with a decent camera system? Because that's never happened before. I would say it's got... I mean, you, you can go is look at like my Is it like OnePlus 9 Pro competitive? No, it's not a OnePlus 9 Pro, but I would say it's a OnePlus 9. And okay. So when you compare the pricing and... But then the versatility that you get for, by having the 5X zoom there on the back as well... This is the most versatile camera system that you can find for $750. For that money, yeah. Yeah. And it does have OIS on that telephoto, presumably, right? It does, yes. What about the main sensor, OIS? Main sensor has OIS as well. Oh, yeah. yay. And so okay. you, you, you get these features. Like, this should be a $950 yeah. phone based off of and the features. You, you said it's glass and aluminum. See, why can't OnePlus do this? They've been doing it for so long. At this point, it's silly. Uh, I'm not saying the that only downside here is you don't get wireless charging. And for, for those who are looking for a flagship tier, it, it's one of those things like, uh, but at $750, I'm yeah, willing to live exactly. with that. You know, yeah. you, you have to make some compromises and that was one of the compromises that they decided to make. The software is not too bad. Uh, they actually pulled in. I don't know if you've noticed this on, uh, some of the latest Xiaomi phones, but they started pulling in some of the design elements from Android 12 
And this is yeah, an Android 11 phone. So this, so it has the larger, when you pull down the notification shade with the quick toggles, the quick toggles are larger. It has the larger, much thicker um, uh, screen brightness uh, slider at, in there. And so they're, they've actually pulled in design elements from Android 12 into Android 11, which is kind of a good sign because, you know, ZT is not really the quickest in order to upgrade his phones to the latest version of Android. So at least you'll have some of those design elements right out of the gate, not having to wait for Android 12 to drop. Yeah, it's interesting. And if the software is okay, otherwise, I think that's not a bad deal. But then, you know, I just want to remind all of us for better or for worse, even though it's one UI, the Galaxy S21 Fan Edition is coming to obliterate all that. Mm -hmm. To obliterate the OnePlus 9, the OnePlus 9 Pro, the ZT Axon 30 Pro, Ultra, whatever it's called. The point I'm making is if Samsung is the new OnePlus, which it feels like in some ways with the Fan Edition, because yeah. last year's Fan Edition was one of my top five phones. Mm -hmm. Like, where, what's going on, Nick? Like, Wow, I cannot make sense of things. Like I expect the pixels to be expensive, so that's fine. But is is it really come to this that Samsung now dominates even at the value, you know, flagship level? Because they they will have wireless charging on their phone. They will, and based off of the price and of a plastic the, back, the Samsung Galaxy S twenty one also had that plastic back, right? And yeah. so if if the fan edition is going to be cheaper than that. I mean, we're looking at a 600, 650, $700 phone that's going to have all these features from Samsung. It's it's going to be a very very good value. I mean, the one thing that the ZT30 Ultra uh has that the fan edition won't is this 144 hertz refresh rate display. Right. Yeah, that's that different. is it is incredible. And again, for $750, you can't get that anywhere else. This It is superb. Well, you can with the Red Magic 6R. <laughs> yeah. $500. But I, I would say the software experience on that oh. phone, like, yeah. no. Like, the no. Only, that you simply buy that phone to play games and then leave it in a drawer. Although, I, you know... They're very similar companies, right? They're they're from the same cloth. So that's why I'm asking you about the software on this ZT because I'm like, is it because Red Magic? It just isn't good, but it's not unusable. Like it, you can live with it. it but it still feels half baked. Like Red Magic software yeah. has. Does the ZT not feel half baked? Because in the past, it I, does not feel half baked. Okay, good. Because in the past, it wasn't that great, right? No, and so here's here's the thing. Like this is the first time in a couple years that ZT's gone with a I would say a heavier skin because yeah. the previous one on the twenty, uh, which was a year and a half ago, uh, was nearly stock Android. I remember and, that, and yeah. I praised it for it. Yeah, and that was one of uh, that that phone got an editor's choice award from us as well. Be made it, it delivered similar value to this, like a flagship tier specs. To $200 cheaper than the competitors. And the software here is a little bit heavier on the skin side, but it's not half-baked like the Red Magic software is. Red Magic software okay. like leaves me wanting, like, what were they thinking? Like, why is that like that? It's like, bugs. It's bad translation. I mean, I could go on. We, we need to wrap up, though. So, Nick, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? 
Definitely. If you want to follow me personally, uh, I'm on Twitter or Instagram at Nick M. Gray, G-R-A-Y, or else you can find my work on Fandroid.com or YouTube.com slash Fandroid. Yeah, folks, check out Fandroid. You'll see most of my links today in the show notes are from Fandroid. And, you know, the YouTube channel is really awesome. Nice work you've been doing there, Nick, for sure. I appreciate it. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, both on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to talk with Nick and I about this podcast, comment, ask questions, go on Twitter and hit us up there. If you want to see pretty pictures taken with phones and pretty pictures of phones, go to my Instagram. And then, of course, there is a couple of YouTube channels that you should subscribe to. There's youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. It's the main channel. It has unboxings, um, some hands-on, hopefully soon when we're allowed to travel again some more and go hands-on with things. But in the meantime, reviews, all that kind of stuff. Please subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. There's a second channel as well, youtube.com slash mobile tech more. My producer and I are trying to flesh that out with some, you know, accessories and preferable content to mobile. So things like travel tech, car tech, home automation, that kind of stuff. So please subscribe so we can reach the magic thousand subscribers so we can monetize. I would appreciate it. And tell your friends. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So if you want to subscribe, there's an RSS feed there, but we're on all the major platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, basically everywhere good podcasts can be found. So please subscribe, tell your friends. If you can, in the app that you're using, review or rate the podcast, please consider doing that. It helps for discoverability. And as you know, for the last few weeks, I have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. If you want to watch this podcast on video rather than listen to it, and you want it unedited and raw the same day as I record it, join the Patreon. There's a tier for that. There's also a tier for a Discord channel, and there's a tier for other stuff. Check it out. It's pretty great. You get basically extra content that's exclusive to Patreon, so consider that. I want to thank Nasir F for being our new patron this week. So thanks for joining. And uh, folks, if you don't want to use Patreon for whatever reason, there's another way you can help. You can donate. There's a PayPal link in the show notes. So click through there and click the little donate button if you can. That would really help. And I also want to thank Audible. Audible has been our longtime sponsor. If you love books as much as I do, you owe yourself an Audible subscription if you don't already have one. They are the number one audiobook platform on the planet. So there's a special deal for you folks, a 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end, whether you stay or not. Hopefully you stick around. audibletrial.com slash mobile tech is the URL. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. Again, it's all about books read to you. You know, if your eyes are tired, you're driving on a road trip, maybe you're a delivery driver having to do your rounds and you want to listen to long form or short form content, Audible's got you covered. They have a great selection of books, podcasts, short stories, everything. You know, you even get uh, books read by the author, which I really like. So check out Audible. And I want to thank them again for being a longtime sponsor. And Nick, I want to thank you for being on the show yet again. My pleasure as always. We'll definitely have you on at some point in the future. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at 
mobiletechpodcast.com.